Hello, everyone. This is the M&M Podcast. I am Michael Gallagher. I'm a lecturer in digital education at the Center for Research in Digital Education at Morey House School of Education and Sport. And I'm coming to you live from my domicile in Morningside in Edinburgh. Uh, and I'm Miles Bellini. I'm a senior service manager in digital learning applications and media and learning, teaching, and web and information services at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, I am coming from my spare bedroom. I am based in the corner of my spare bedroom on a pile of cushions because the rest of my house is a kid zone. Oh, my gosh. We'll be talking about that, I'm sure, in some detail. I mean, I'm at my kitchen table right now, but I'm childless, so that uh, works in my favor at this very moment. I am jealous of your table. <laughs> Uh, my wife and I are sharing work from home space on our kitchen table and managing that relatively well at this point. Are you both on the table? Yeah, on the same table. Wow. Yeah. But she works from home and she has for quite some time. And I, we have worked at home together off and on before I started here at the University of Edinburgh. So the transition was uh, not seamless necessarily, but it was perhaps a little bit easier on some level yeah so i think it's like so we have a um so downstairs is the office slash my wife's sewing room which is full of sewing stuff and quilting stuff um and we have a desk in there and that's usually where we work at home um so my wife works at home one day a week and i work home another day of the week and um that's been grand but my wife's a key key worker so she has to um, just to do her normal hours um, and a bit more right now. Um, and she's commandeered the desk because she has like a trillion monitors. And I've been, you know, cast away into the spare bedroom in a corner with tons of my kids' cushions from underneath their beds. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Impromptu, transitional, a pivot. A pivot. You can call it a flip. You can call it what you want to right now. I think, I think that. I think on Twitter, pivot is the kind of trendy thing to call it. I agree. Yeah. And I think a lot of that is probably marketing speak as well. But I think we're all, I mean, we're all largely doing a massive pivot here. And I think to kick it off in the right tone, I mean, we just want to say, send our best to everyone. We hope you're keeping well. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay home mm -hmm. if you can, if at all possible. And uh, hopefully soon we'll see each other in, in sunnier times. But until then, we decided, well, maybe we should reflect in this podcast these shifts that are happening around us in response to the pandemic. Uh, we're talking about a, perhaps a temporary direction for the podcast, but more about how uh, all of this is this transition, the pivot, the lurch, the flip, whatever we want to call it, how all this transition online is affecting how we work uh, as opposed to strictly how we teach or how we learn. Uh, so... We're going to be talking with people over the course of the next few podcasts, uh, uh, how we managed our transition online in this emergency time, uh, reflecting on our own experiences as well, obviously. So both Miles and I uh, moved online in a hurry along with everyone else, but we represent two different you know, teams, two different sectors, essentially, and those work practices are slightly different. But we should really kick this off a little bit with just you know, working from home. Uh, you discussed being in the... The spare bedroom and being on cushions. Uh, I'm sitting at the kitchen table right now, perfectly comfortable in my, I, in my le less than formal wear. I honestly think that every time you say kitchen table, a part of me inside is dying with this laptop on top of a blanket on my lap. 
Because <laughs> it's like, I'm very jealous of your table. I think I tried to, so we've got a spare, got the spare bed here in front of me as well. And yesterday I was like, Do you know what? I'm not going to sit in these cushions anymore. I'm going to put the laptop on the bed and I'm going to go on my knees and pretend it's like a desk. So that lasted, <laughs> that lasted about half an hour. And I was like, yeah, that's not working. My knees are killing me. Um, <laughs> but it is, I think it's, it's, you know, it's extraordinary times, extraordinary times. And, um, I think it is, it's a massive, just, you know, it is, it, it, it's, it's crazy to think that two weeks ago you're in the office, you're going about your daily business and, you know, meetings, all that kind of stuff. And now, um, you just don't have that. And it is, it's, everybody has to stay safe in the short term and it is short term, hopefully. Um, but it is, it's an amazing switch. And, and like what you said already, we, you and me have worked at home, you know, you've worked at home more than I have and you do a lot more because you're, um, teaching at home, which is, which is brilliant. But for, for, people in IT that shift that I know people have never worked at home in various jobs and the shift to work at home is a bit of a struggle um, because you know it's even the space I'm you know I I might be moaning about my cushions in the spare bedroom in the corner but people don't even have that space to be able to do that um, one of the people I follow on Twitter uh, Andy from Ulster he's sitting in his hallway on a tiny wee desk which is a shelf wow <laughs> Uh, and that's it. Doesn't have he doesn't have the physical space to do it because, um, well, he just doesn't have a desk. Yet again, I'm jealous. Um, so he's had to do with the shelf, and it is it's, it's it's crazy to see how people are trying to manage with it. And there's 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 tons of aspects of working at home which are really beneficial. But um, I think regarding all the other thing that's going on, the uncertainty and all that kind of stuff, it brings in extra anxieties. So. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, I think it it will require some time to settle. I think people are in flux and transitions and working. They're trying to develop a, a work from home practice and process that from scratch on the go. Mm. And I think some of that takes some time. Uh, I'm not belittling the severity of the pandemic. Obviously, this is very serious stuff and uh, we have a, a while to go with it. But bear in mind that it will end at some point. Uh, I mean, I don't have tons of experience with this, but I, w- I was mentioning before that I lived in Korea, South Korea, which I had an exemplary response to the pandemic, to be honest with you. Uh, and I lived there for many years and we lived through avian flu and SARS and MERS and nu- North Korea nuclear attack possibilities and all these tensions that would circle around your your sense of stability. And they always will eventually dissipate. Uh, will change in response to them, but there will be a, a brighter day somewhere down the road. Yeah, I think it's it, that's it. I think you, that's spot on, Michael, because it is. This is the short term. Unfortunately, you know it's it's been abrupt. Um, you know, I know there's been panic buying a toilet roll for the last three weeks, um, but it has it's just come out of really nowhere, and it's bizarre because we were in uh, Thailand in December when uh, the coronavirus started happening in, in Wuhan in in November. And it was just interesting seeing the kind of, and even we were just like very blase about it because um, we were aware of, of it um, because the reporting of it in Thailand was, was quite heavy. But now to see it on our doorstep is, is frightening. But yeah. I agree. 
I agree. There are positive things that have sort of emerged from this as well. And I think we can talk a little bit about this as well. I think like, people are staying put. I think there's environmental uh, spill, spillover mm-hmm. effects that are, that are relatively positive here as well that we should consider. Uh, but anything happening on the parenting front from the blame? Oh, now? my Lord. So for everybody, uh, I have two children and one, my kids are great. One's 11 and, and one's six. So my 11-year-old just wants to play Xbox all day. And my six-year-old just wants to see what mommy and daddy are doing all day long. And it's intense. So I think we got told last week that the schools were going to close. Um, and um, I already started the transition to work at home last week anyway because I was just a bit wary of of um, what was going on. And I didn't want to bring an extra risk in. So as my wife. She started working at home last week too. So... Um, the schools have been great and given kind of school packs, but we have to try and build this routine of for the kids to do things every day. And it's, um, it's difficult um, because of the age gap as well. It's very difficult, but it's trying to give them that kind of, they not give our anxieties to them, give them a routine, continue their school homing, uh, which is like, I have never, I have respect for any academics previously, but Oh my God, teachers of primary school kids, Unbelievable, you know that is, a, that is another level of patience that I don't. Oh my understand. lord! On a, I, I see if I I need to stress ball every time I'm teaching. I'm like, oh my lord, say the word there, and she's like there, and then and then two lines, two lines later, it's there again. I'm like, oh, she's read already. She'll she'll nail this, and she's like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> so it, it's really difficult, but trying to build that routine up, and I think we've. So I think there's lots of stuff that's happening online. And, you know, looking up people, Joe Wicks is 9 to 9, 30 free workout. David Williams is doing a free book reading thing at 11 o'clock or a free book on his website. There's other bits and bobs that are coming online to try and um, supplement kids. And so we we created a, my wife is very clever. She bought a, a whiteboard for the fridge last week. So she's, uh, we've created some kind of, um, schedule for the day or the routine for the kids for the day where we do homeschooling so i've had to change how i work and i'm I'm very very lucky the university we're very flexible about how we can work to accommodate the kids and so i'll be logging on at seven o'clock in the morning and and working to lunchtime solidly and then kids lunch and then it's i'm the teacher mr blaney as my kids call me um from about half one to about half three and it's intense it's hayden's easy because he's using it's, it's funny seeing hayden use google classroom so they have assignments put in the google classroom he's had to do a powerpoint presentation yesterday about um his week he's doing his reading all that kind of stuff um where indiana has um google classroom stuff as well and it's it's just tricky trying to get them not to be in front of the tv trying to get them outside in the garden which we're very fortunate to have because you can't really go out to the park anymore you know you can't really say just go out and see your friends that's all gone um it's just bizarre it's, and it puts a lot of you know it's just weird it's just so odd that's an interesting facet about like how it affects the children's like social life essentially right how it's redefining all of that they can't just go see their friends no and that's it it's it's so they're losing that contact and it's weird because um so my so sarah's sister's uh sister lives around the corner so my niece and nephew um there you know she she wasn't at work yesterday and she's a nurse so she popped round as in round to the front lawn 
knocked on the door, came back from the door, and had, we had a conversation over the front lawn with the kids. And the kids were super excited to see their niece and nephew or their cousins. And it's just, you know, they can run up and say hello, give them a hug. Um, and it's that kind of distance thing for them. You know, they don't have that kind of interaction with kids their age that they want to goof around with and have a chat with. So we suggested to Hayden about using um, Google Hangouts to talk to his friends. Interesting. But you're reliant on them then having access to Google Hangouts and be able to use it. And um, and in a weird way, that's why kind of like online gaming is is kind of a good thing in a way right now, I think, because yeah. he can talk to his friends while he's playing, you know, a game. And, that, and, and they need to have that wee bit of social contact. But we have, to, agree with that. we have to kind of make sure that the Xbox is on set times of... We don't allow the Xbox to come on during the day, really, because we know he'll have an hour of it at nighttime most days now, which is how, you know, previously he was doing activities three of five school nights. Um, so And he had all his friends are on online with him during this game. Yeah, majority of them are. But wow. there's, there's, okay. cer- there's certain people that don't have that... Um, don't have that game or won't be on that system, so they might have a different kind of console so they won't have access to it as well so there is so he is losing contact with certain friends it's really difficult for the kids to tell you the truth because it's something that i know for us for parents for we like we're both working me and my wife are working right now my wife went in until four she started at seven she's on call 24 7 right now because she's a key worker it's just trying to juggle everything and so we're trying to juggle everything and our kids trying to make it seem like it's okay for the kids and trying to make sure yeah. they're entertained. So it's just weird. My lawn has taken a hit. My my wife was like, We need we need to we need to plant stuff and it's grand. It's great. It's it's amazing what my wife's doing. Yeah, um, we, we had talked a little bit about that, Miles, before we got on mm-hmm. uh, on the podcast today. It was like this idea that this really puts certain things in focus and perspective and really quickly what what are the most important things and things like the lawn can wait. It's yeah. not critical. Oh yeah, uh, and I think we—that's a good takeaway. I think for anybody listening is like the idea that don't don't be too hard on yourself with this stuff. You're making it up as you go along. It's a lot on your plate. You're juggling a lot, especially if you have kids. Mm. That uh, I mean, nobody's figured it out yet in, in some sort of perfect model. So just doing the best you can and trying to minimize disruption uh, uh, with your kids is probably the best way forward. I, I think it's you know, and I think there is. I think that's for everybody as well. Is to try and you know, I. I know when I worked at home one day a week and I'd always say to other people that worked at home, I would be like that. Okay. I do the kids run in the morning and then I'll, I'll sit and there might be like a two hour sprint where I just nail stuff. I am awesome for those two hours. Um, you know, you can, I can, um, do stuff really quickly. I'm just in the zone. There's nobody talking to me. I'm just in the zone. I've got my headphones on. Um, and it's great. And for those two hours, I'll do probably half a day's work or more than half a day's work. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Absolutely. So it, it's not being hard on yourself for people that are transitioning to say, I've got to see you for seven and a half hours or how many hours you're meant to do. And I have to do stuff all the time. It's saying, you know, if you need to get away, walk away from your desk, take a wee bit okay. of a break. You, you're not, you don't have to be for seven hours because it's different work. In the office, people come chat to you. There's meetings. Do you need to have those meetings in the office all the time? You know, a lot of times, you know, we'll be in meetings and you'd be like, I should be here for this hour long meeting, probably for five minutes. 
Yeah. That's Absolutely. I think, I think that's what we had discussed a little bit earlier, too, as well. It's like it's changing work practices as we know it. What Miles said is absolutely true. A two-hour burst, if I get a, a, a clean one-hour, two-hour kind of burst of activity, I can probably have an output equivalent to what I would want to do in that day. Yeah. So you sort of treat it in those ways. It's a different rhythm. It's a different kind of uh, timing mechanism from working from home. You look for those one, two-hour bursts. Uh, and then you you have to attend to other responsibilities. For mm. example, you know your kids or uh, your relationships, or you check in on your loved ones, or whatever it might be. You have all of these other responsibilities to attend to. So you look for the bursts, and if you have them, great. And if you don't, don't be too hard on yourself. That's it. It's, it, it's I think it's you know years ago I've worked at home one day a week for uh, twelve years, and. When I started doing work at home in my old job, you'd always get this the kind of comments, oh, you're working from home today, ha, ha, ha. You know, as in work, as in inverted commas, you're sitting, you know, um, in your bed all day long. And I think it's kind of, I was always like, no, I'm actually um, working. But it's those kind of wee silly comments that make you stress about it and think about it. And then you're like, well, I don't know what I meant to do because there is no, there's no guide to how you should work at home. Um, no. that I've ever seen and I don't know there's lots of people that will write about it and say here's how I work from home but we have to realize we all work very differently yes yes that's important to remember it's very idiosyncratic the way you're going to approach working from home I work best in the morning I try to have everything done by a certain time in the afternoon mm. because I know my brain is starting to shut off and that's okay mm. uh, I, I was telling you earlier that I, I like naps <laughs> you know, I'm a big fan of naps. So a, a midday nap for me for a half hour really does the trick and it gives me a little boost. Uh, but most of my work is taking place in the morning. And by noon, I'm, I'm, I've done the heavy lifting. I mean, in terms of what I need my mind for, I think, largely. See, I am, I am the complete opposite. So I am not a morning person. Um, and I'm not like bad in the morning, but I can still work in the morning. But I always find that for some reason, the afternoon, my brain just kicks in. I Because I love, it's a bit like how, so I, I like running, okay? And if I run in the morning, my times are horrendous. I can feel my body saying, what the hell are we doing outside? When I was training for uh, a marathon and doing morning runs, my body would hate me on a Saturday morning because I'd be out at 7 o'clock going for a run. And they'd be like, what, what are we doing outside? And it would just... Oh, mentally, I was like, no, this isn't right. If I did the same thing at nighttime, my brain's like, this is great. This is, I'm achieving something. I'd be like, yay. And my work is exactly the same. I'm in, in the morning, I can still work, but for some reason, my brain kicks in, in the afternoon and I feel like I'm actually a bit more compass mentis. I can run through stuff. I can, I can make sense of things a lot clearer in the afternoon. So interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Recognize that too. So that's important to recognize that like it will be. There'll be a wide variety of approaches here. Mm. You don't, you don't need to normalize your behavior necessarily. No, no. To what everybody else is doing. I just get your work done as best you're able, and the time constraints that you have. Mm. That's fine. Yeah. Anyway, you pull that off. I, I would. I mean, I'll spare everyone the the, the really the, the real peccadillos I have in terms of working from home, and and I have certain things where I can triage email and and do the the pedantic bits or the low hanging things early in the morning when I'm just you know not fully dressed as a wearing pajamas or whatever it might be. But 
when I get to work, I actually literally have to put on clothes that suggest to me that I'm working now. Yeah. Like I have to transform myself in some sort of weird Superman, Mr. Rogers neighborhood kind of approach where I, I change clothes and, and then I start to feel uh, like I'm ready for work. I've known people who have, even though they work from home, they'll get ready for work, mm. go for a walk around the block and come back in and start work because that suggests to them that work is ready to start now. Um, so there's no right, wrong way to do this. There's a lot of bizarre ways to do it, but oh, there's yeah. no wrong way to do it. And I think, do you know what, it's really interesting because I think one, somebody, somebody tweeted about somebody, I think some professional, no, it was on the radio. It was on um, BBC Radio 5 at the weekend and they were talking about working at home. And um, I think what she was saying is that she would get dressed like she's going into the office. Um, she would, um, and that would focus her mind and say, I'm, I'm in this mind zone. She'll do her list of what she wanted to do within uh, her time. And she would sit, sit at a dedicated spot and she would do her work and blah, there you go. It's great. So, you know what? And that's great. Every, but yet again, everybody's different because you're right. Some people like sitting in their pants and just writing code at home. That's right. And some people can just lie down and, and recline. I've done a lot of my writing over my career, uh, you know, writing papers or whatever. I've done it mostly in a recline position where I'm actually laying down on the bed or a sofa. Really? I have a laptop. Yeah, I tend to write better if I'm writing long form type things mm -hmm. in that space. But if I'm work, work, if I'm doing more of the day-to-day -day stuff, I'm at my desk. I mean, I'm at this kitchen table. I'm looking at a, uh, you know, uh, an iMac monitor here. And mm -hmm. then that's necessary to do that kind of work. So, you know, don't be afraid to move it around the, plate, the, the house or the apartment. If you have that kind of luxury, by all means, do that. Everybody has a different approach. I mean, I think it's, there's no wrong answer here. Yeah. So I, I, I'm based in the kitchen table it's from 7 o'clock to 9 o'clock. And then... Um, I have to come to my cushion, my cushion area in the spare bedroom <laughs> from nine till one, just to get out of the way. And but it is kind of nice because previously the way that when I was working one day a week, I was sitting downstairs in the sewing room slash office, and if I had a meeting, I'd, I'd take that meeting somewhere else just to feel like I'm I'm moving about. Um, one thing I'll say right now is that my step count is just gone right down something shocking <laughs> that's a, i think something another healthy uh perspective here is that if your intention during this self-imposed isolation is to to get healthier or to diet or to do these that's probably not going to work i was actually going to point to working uh, some tips from working from home from the gallagher household is largely involving wine um <laughs> And uh, the delivery of living in a, a, such a sophisticated country that allows for the delivery of wine is one of my favorite things about the UK. And uh, don't be afraid to, to occasionally, obviously, oh, don't overdo it, you know, partake in a, a glass of wine at the end of the day to let yourself know that the workday is now done. Uh, so it's important. Often with this working from home thing, you can blur those lines between when you're on and when you're off. And I think occasionally letting yourself know that work is now done is not such a bad thing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's mega difficult. I think it's, I think, you know, that point of that blur and it's so dangerous as well, because it means that you're always kind of turned on. You're always like switched on. Oh, I'm, I'm doing this. And, and especially now for me anyways, with the kids is saying I'm done. That's it. And I've said to people right now, because of the current situation 
is that if you put a meeting in after one o'clock, I'm probably going to say no to it because I can't honestly dedicate the time. I can't say to my kids because I'm a school kid. I'm, I'm doing um, the school stuff that I, I can't split it up and say, oh, yeah, I can do a meeting halfway through their school stuff. I just can't do that. I need to dedicate time to them because they're out of school. Um, yeah, and I think that's a good point. And I think that's how uh, all of this, the, the scenario and the care responsibilities and and the professional and personal responsibilities, all of that is affecting the way we work. And I think we should be open to that kind of transformation. If if it forces people to rethink, hey, do we need that that meeting, mm. that synchronous bit of activity, then I think perhaps this is not necessarily all wasted, right? So there, there's positive outcomes from some of these things. And maybe that's a good transition into setting the scene a bit, which is uh, we wanted to start with that kind of more personal anecdotal bits because it is a trying time for everybody and nobody has the correct answer. But what we do is perhaps consider transitioning a little bit into the University of Edinburgh, how we responded and kind of our institutional context, because on the next podcast, we're going to be talking about how uh, largely your team, Miles, and how they came together, how they dropped everything that needed to be dropped and pivoted in a very quick way to help the entire university come online. So I think it's, I think it's actually a good institutional case study almost of how this could be done and how a lot of it was impromptu and a lot of it was just done on the fly with just people working together. And I, I and I, that will largely be the, the discussion for the next podcast, but I think it's important to set the scene a bit. Yeah. And I think it's, it's, it's IS as a whole, do you know what I mean? And um, Karen, Karen Howe and Stuart Nickel who we're going to have on and yourself have just been completely awesome to, to do that sudden switch and how it was managed so i think it will be um yeah it's it's you know in the time space with the time pressures um and and this in this current climate to do this and you know we we can see from you know looking at twitter and speaking to colleagues other institutions it, it was just mad panic but to get what we got out of it is unbelievable i think I think so too. Yeah, we'll talk more about it. We we put together an, an you know obviously an online uh, training program for all faculties uh, and professional staff. To uh, we ran, I can't remember how many hours. We're still running them. Still uh, going, yeah. And it's about eight hundred some participants over the course of the week and a half, uh, working people through the transition into remote teaching. Uh, having those discussions, uh, which proved pretty good. I think we're lucky enough because the institutional context at the University of Edinburgh is such that we, I think we, we know how fortunate we are and how uh, that's, that's not necessarily a brag, but we do recognize that we have access to resources and expertise that I think a lot of institutions may or may not have. Oh, and yeah. I think that's certainly informed the way we pivoted. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, if you look historically at um, our online presence and how much experimentation we've done in this area as well for online teaching, it's it's definitely helped with the sudden shift. Um, I agree. Because it's, it's gold. It's really gold. And I think of other institutions that don't have that the ability to do that or the resource ability to do that as well. It's unbelievable that they've even done anything at all, to tell you the truth. I think it's fantastic. I am blown away by the response of schools, uh, secondary schools and, you know, 
uh, elementary primary schools or elementary schools. Mm. And this response to pivoting on that's just anything that they could get online would would have impressed me. But a lot of the things are much more sophisticated than I would have given it original credit for. Well, that's so very impressive. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So even even Indiana has now. So Indiana is my six year old. Um, so she's got a good classroom where her um, teacher will post daily tasks for them to do. She'll post all the homework that we need to print off and we can do with her as well. And she'll ask for homework to be uploaded. And she's running a, a um, she's actually doing her Google Hangout in the mornings, I think, which is unfortunate because we both work in the mornings, where she'll talk to her class. You know, I can't imagine a Google Hangout with six-year-olds is much fun <laughs> at, yeah. at scale. Uh, but I think it's it just shows you that that school, which had no kind of web presence at all, because everything's obviously based in books that we get home and it's just had to go, boop, there you go. And, and we got the pack last Thursday um, and then our last day was on Friday. And then, you know, on the Monday, we just did the shift, you know, um, and this is day four now, and she's been doing her reading, her calculations, her, her writing, and we've been uploading stuff and following what the teacher asked us to do. And that's a primary school. That's impressive, yeah. I, I've been blown away by the resilience of teachers here, the response of districts and schools, individual schools. Uh, but it just really, really, really a, a pretty resilient group of people and a pretty creative uh, and adaptive group of people as well. So just my hats off to everyone out there in the schools doing it. Yeah. Uh, they, again, going back to the University of Edinburgh, our particular context is, is a fortunate one. We have lots of expertise to draw on. We have over 70 fully online master's programs. We haven't done undergraduate uh, online education yet, but we started obviously this past week um, with this remote teaching provision. Uh, so we, we do have slight, yeah, there's certain benefits to draw on from this particular university that might not be shared across other institutional contexts. I think we're also very fortunate in the relationship uh, that we have right here between Miles and myself talking, representing Information Services Group and representing uh, the Center for Research in Digital Education. And we felt, and Stuart, uh, in the next podcast, we'll talk to about this a bit, but we felt that that relationship was really pivotal in some of this, that we could speak both academically and technologically uh, to the same issue. And I felt that in the moment of crisis, that really paid off. It's key. I think we've talked about this previously, about this thing where, you know, the, the technology might have been the leader and you're like, well, it, it, it shouldn't be. Do you know what I mean? Technology should be there to supplement and to help teach it shouldn't be the things that directs what we do just because this is here and that's there it should be a a conversation to see how each other can help each other and it's kind of key and it's kind of daft to think that those conversations don't happen uh, you know because it's just like it's like another I, I it introduced this oh, i don't like it why not i'm not seeing it i don't i don't want this i don't want that what's it given what's it bringing to the party nothing do you know what i mean and and I think it's really interesting, the sessions that have been run, and I know we'll talk about it in the next podcast, it's what's going to happen after all this settles down. And everybody now has access to these online resources that maybe they didn't want to use before, maybe they didn't know was available, or maybe they hadn't incorporated them into their daily teaching. And now, by this, because of the situation, they have. So what, what will happen next? I agree. That's a legitimate question. I think that's really, I think what we're starting to pivot again 
uh, is now we're moving away from this uh, uh, emergency response, this temporary remote teaching provision, and we're starting to think long term. Uh, what if this carries on for quite some time? Uh, do we need to have a full suite of online courses ready to go for the fall? Uh, how does this change what we do as a university? How does it change international student intake? How does it change all of these different things? So there's some significant impact on what we do as a university coming down the pipe. And But I, I couldn't conceive of ever meet, meeting those challenges or even responding to those challenges without these two groups working together pretty closely. Yeah. Uh, it would be lost. So I think it, if the, one of the biggest takeaways from this, uh, as, uh, if you're listening and you're at an institution that doesn't enjoy this kind of thing, is to make those connections between the learning technologists uh, and the faculty whenever possible. They should be as coherent as possible. You'll, you'll rely on each other quite heavily uh, over the c- coming months, I suspect, uh, as we start to consider provisions for the, fall, for the autumn, for the fall. Yeah, yeah, it's key. It's a key conversation that should be happening anyway, but unfortunately, it it doesn't. Yeah, and that requires a, a bit of compromise on both parties. I think to make that work is to, for the teacher or for the faculty member, like I represent that side of the equation. But to let's say I don't know, and mm. but I know these people have expertise that can benefit what I'm trying to do, and to see each other's each other as partners in. In, in this broader teacher function, like what we're trying to do, we're trying to provide this teaching experience and these learning technologists and the faculty together can create a better one. So seeing those things in tandem, I think helps quite a bit. It's, it's, and, it's, it's key. It's so key. It's, on, it's frightening. And it, but historically, I think as well that, you know, uh, learning technology has always been, you know, out, out with of central IT um, because it's regarded as something that is not, you know, a computer or a laptop build or an office suite or something that's core to to people doing their everyday tasks for service and administration. And now learning technology is it should be key in all IT, um, you know, in education because it's the front facing student experience which learning technology will facilitate and supplement. So it should just be core. I agree. It's going to become increasingly important as well. Uh, this, I, this, the catastrophic nature of this pandemic and how it was so uh, vast and so extensive in terms of how it changed work might, might, we hope, will be an anomaly, but it might not be as well. So th- those, those relationships will become increasingly important, we suspect, in the coming months, in the coming years. Uh, perhaps, unfortunately, this becomes a little bit more of a regular feature in modern life. So something to, to build the relationships now to rely on later. Uh, to f- close us off here, I think was the, just to reframe the podcast a bit is like how now more than ever technology is becoming increasingly important, embedded, or, uh, uh, uh well, I guess we could say just embedded in something embedded. Yeah. Yeah. It's embedded in what we do. As organizations, as teachers, as you know, as higher education, uh, it's something that I think it's important at this moment that we run with this reflection that this crisis is causing. Maybe think of uh, uh, how what work practices can shift, what teaching practices can shift for the better. Even it's a good chance to pause and reflect on those things, and ultimately, all we we don't ever let go of our need to be critical 
and reflective of the technology. Great shifts bring with it great, uh, 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 great changes, and those changes can bring about a positive and negative outcomes. So I think it's, it's very important to be critical at this stage. That's, on how the tech is being used. And that's it. It might not suit everybody because everybody, you know, for the, you know, if you think about vets, this shift might not be great for them because if people can't actually do physical things, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yes. So it's the realization that this shift is great for a certain kind of um, delivery, but it might not be great for everybody. I agree. That's a good point. And I think you should be open to the idea that each discipline will be different. And this shift to online, uh, if not benefiting particular disciplines more than others, it certainly is easier. So for my shift online, my focus, my master's program is digital education. I mean, it's, this is the subject uh, that we're talking about. So it would largely take place in the digital regardless. It would take place online regardless. Why wouldn't it? That's the natural place for it to live. Others, like you said, the vet school, the medical school, who do offer large online programs as well. Actually, mm. they're quite they're quite embedded in the online space. But there are practices, core professional practices, that would struggle to be replicated online. Yeah, yeah. So I think it's something we have to keep an eye on and uh, and work work together towards. Yeah, I think and, I think it's just saying that not not this is this is a really interesting shift to see how it works out, but it might not be suited to everybody. That's correct. And I think in the interim, go easy on yourself. Like we said, uh, don't be too hard on yourself. We're making this up as we go along. We're drawing on institutional expertise. We're, we're drawing on research and theory and all these different things. But uh, this is largely uh, individual and institutional responses to a crisis. So as best as you are able, please go easy on yourself. Yeah. And I think that's a good place to stop. We were basically setting up this pivot we're taking on this podcast and we'll be talking uh, to two people who were heavily involved in the response to this crisis uh, in terms of bringing the university online in our next episode. So I suppose until then, uh, we'll sign off. Uh, this is Michael Gallagher. Uh, Miles Blaney. And we'll see you next time. Cheers. Cheers.